Hello, 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 ladies. Welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And today, my guest is this beautiful soul, Rhea Harris. Rhea actually and I go way back. Way, <laughs> way back. Way back. Back in the days, we went yeah. to high school together. We yeah. went to junior high together. And yeah. I believe elementary school. I'm not sure. Did you go to Renma? I did for third grade only. Only third grade? Yeah. That was I, the first school I, I went to when we moved oh, to Riverside. I, I started there fifth grade. Oh, okay. Okay. So... Rhea Harris currently stepped away from a career in clinical social work to return to higher education. Her goal is to help women embrace identity, confidence, and a life thriving in mental wealth, one conversation at a time. With a master's in clinical counseling and a heart for service, she is passionate about the power of healing through transparency, through community and our stories, we can thrive together. Everybody, please welcome Rhea Harris. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Let's go. Let's go. Oh my goodness. All right. So <laughs> let's talk your journey. Yeah. Okay. Well, first I want to say class of 98 people that are listening. Everybody's aged like really, really well. <laughs> right? like, so I just want to say good job. Yeah. Lost Sierra Eagles. Right. The glow up is real. <laughs> the glow up is real. Because some people look like life just hit them. But I can't say... <laughs> <laughs> I can't say almost every single person from our class like yeah they look they look like aging you, well do you look exactly the same I think I feel like you've I never aged you. at all like I feel like we're back in junior high <laughs> yes. at like camp Tyler <laughs> like I see pictures of Tyler I and know. Like, Eric and Allie do Eric you know? and Allie yeah. oh my god Erica still fits in her junior high cheerleading outfit I'm like, seriously, girl, I, I can't I have no like, words. One thigh fits into my cheerleading <laughs> I have no skirt. No words. Congratulations. <laughs> I know. You are Class winning. <laughs> Twinning is winning. Okay. So uh, since we're jumping right into my story, Paola, I, I, out of everybody, I think in high school, I think that you were really perceptive to pick up on like the tough days that I had Aww. when I was at school. Cause I do remember like there would be times I remember one day specifically when we were in this, I think I was waiting in line for the student store and you just came up and you gave me like a kiss on my cheek. And I was like, she doesn't even know how much like I needed this this morning. Aww. Like, yeah. So I just want to say thank you to you. We're not going to get emotional in the beginning, <laughs> but I will say like, just to give some context into what I'm going to talk to you about today. I think that there's three things that I've always struggled with and it sucks because they're inevitable things and mm -hmm. that's been change timing and trusting people okay or trusting situations and I and and without going into like full detail because this would be like a three-hour podcast <laughs> I, yeah we I could grew, say here yeah. forever you know I grew the reason why I even went into social work and most people that go into those fields those helping fields is because they had a home mm -hmm. where they experience some of the things that they're e essentially wanting to protect people from. So, yeah. you know, we, we all know that like anytime you're dealing with childhood trauma, mm -hmm. like we were talking earlier, it does like this weird thing with your brain I'm talking just like layman's terms. And it, it, it basically rewires your prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. to teach your brain to stay in like fight or flight response yeah as a child and then that child grows up to be an adult that brings this brain with them mm -hmm. and it manifests 
in this weird struggle that you have where you're teetering the fence behind really, really wanting and desiring things that everybody is deserving of stability, Mm -hmm. loyalty, just knowing that people will stay. Yeah. And so you, you struggle with attachment, even though you desire to have healthy attachment, you struggle with trust, even though you long to trust and then, and you struggle with stability, even though that's something that you really, really want and you desire and you're lacking. And, and then we, we call that baggage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We, we call it brokenness. Yeah. And you carry like this weight of, of this struggle that you have. And that was something that I struggled with a long time into very, very recently. And so we're almost hitting our our 40s. 40s. Yeah, don't say I that said out loud. It, I said it out loud, but like I cringed like <laughs> as I said it. I know. But again, that's why I, I, I set the podcast up that we're looking good. I know. 98. We are, we are. So we bring that into adulthood and and that comes in so many forms and it is embedded in our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I know particularly for me, because I don't want to just like talk around it. I know for me, there was just this, people pleasing thing Ooh, in me. You had the disease to please. <laughs> yeah, the disease to please. <laughs> We're going to have mugs and shirts on this podcast. <laughs> I know. And so it was just this thing in me that like, I just, all I wanted was, I felt like if I could create the family that I didn't experience, the household dynamics I didn't experience, that would validate that what I went through was worth something. Yeah. If I could love people enough, be there for them enough. Essentially, they would love me enough to think I was worthy enough to stay. Oh my gosh. We are exactly the same. (laughs) I mean, I was listening to your podcast and you shared a lot of things that I didn't know. And I was like, different stories, but very parallel. Yeah. And, you know, and the timing. And so that's the trust and that's, that's the attachment. But then the timing thing happened after my mom passed. Because now timing is no longer this thing that's like I have forever. It made timing a very real thing where it's like, I have to, I have to have this done while I still have one parent left. I have to finish school. I have to make sure that I'm in a place where I'm independent. And if anything should happen and I'm in a marriage or I'm in a relationship, I won't be just out on the street because I've built something myself. Yeah. A I, foundation. A foundation. I have to have a child before my dad passes because my mom suddenly passed from mm-hmm. this disease I'd never heard of. Now we all know about ALS, but in like 1998, I never heard of it. Yeah. And so it was like, a parent could get a disease you never heard about and then right. fi- and then suddenly be taken out of your life. And so it's like, I only have one person left. How do I know how long that person is going to yeah. be here? Was your mom's death the first death you've experienced? Or were like, did you experience, that was your first? I would say that that is, it's not the first death I experienced because I do remember going to a funeral for my grandmother on my father's side, but we weren't really close, but she was the first one that hit home. Yeah. Well, she was your mother. Yeah. And, you know, when you lose a parent, I mean, we're in our 40s, so it's starting to happen a lot more, you know, because as we're getting older, it's just inevitable. We're all gonna 
pass. It's like definite. It's the death and taxes. We're both guaranteed that. Yeah. Um. But like when you're young and you experience death, like you know, I say like ten, you know, fifteen, even in high school, I feel like it's like a more of an impact. Yeah. Simply because you're still in the in need of that parent. You're yeah. still in need of them. Like you said, you have not accomplished, you know, your own marriage, your yeah. own children, your own household. So it's not like you have anything really to like go home. And because I, I, I specifically remember when my dad died, it was like I went back home to like my sister. I was living with my sister at the time. And, you know, it was like I could see my sister with all of her kids in the living room, like you know, hugging each other and crying together. You know, I imagined, I don't know what happened with my other sisters, but I imagine that happened at all of my sister's houses that Mm -hmm. they went home with their loved ones and their little family and they all consoled with each other. And then I'm there because I didn't have my own boyfriend. I didn't have a husband. I didn't have children. And there I was like, who do I, who consoles me? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like who holds me at night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it just does make you feel even more alone. Yeah. And, I, and I'm finding that I think I struggled with it more as I got older because mm-hmm. I found, I think like as a child, you're daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for like the protection and, and, and you look up to them in that light. And then as you get older, that there's like this shift that comes where you can start having the conversations and now it's more even though you still have reverence as a parent it it kind of shifts and it's more like you're parallel and you're walking this life together yeah but I feel like with my mom it's the it was the reverse so like as a child it was like yeah my mom is going to be the one I went to when I first had my period like like that kind of stuff but then as you get older I feel like that's as women that's kind of when we lean on our moms more yeah. because like now you're going through relationships. You you want your mom. Now mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out people and dynamics and your place in the world and how you fit as a woman, as yeah. a woman of color, like in this world. And these are all things that like, as you're getting older, you would love to lean on your mother for. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you kind of need them more. As yes. you get older and it, and it was just this gap of not having that, mm-hmm. that and still having to move through life. Did you have any female figure that was like a good, cause for me, I didn't have a mom. Like, even though I have a mom right. that birthed me, like I didn't have a mother, like mm. I never had that mother figure, but my sister was like my, my somewhat mother figure. And I would call her like, you know, hey, you know, this guy likes me, what should I do? Or, you know, I'd be in college, yeah. can you help me with my paper? You know, or, you know, hey, how do you make Mexican rice? Like, yeah. you know, she was my mom. She was the person that I would call and say, I, I'm sick, what should I take? You know, like she was the person I leaned on. So yeah. was there someone, you know, that after your mom had passed that you leaned on as a motherly figure? You know what? I will say that the relationships that I was in, I was fortunate enough yeah, I don't think I I've had a single relationship where the parent didn't step in and take that role. Mm. And so what's interesting is that almost all of them, almost all of them, <laughs> the relationship might have, you know, died out, but their parents still keep in touch with me to Aww. this day. So 
like just yesterday, I went and I saw like the Baker's family, uh-huh. Nicole Baker, Nick Baker. I, I stopped by and saw their parents real briefly. So it's, it's, I've always had relationships where the, the parents, both the mother and the father, for some reason, not only kind of embraced me in that way, but they also embraced my younger sister in that way. Uh-huh. So she kind of had like pseudo parents just by association with me. Yeah. So that's incredible. I, yeah, That's I, awesome. I really, I really, really thank those people. And I'm very lucky because that's not, I know, I know that that's not a usual common thing. But, yeah. But yeah, so I have had, and then, but most of it, I'll be honest, a lot of my support was leaning on my friends, yeah. you know, and just them being there, like they might not have, you know, because we're peers, they might not be able to give me wisdom. Yeah. But <laughs> They were there to give me, you know, support and and just trying to find my way through. And and I think that that was like the foundation of of my faith. And just I think the thing that that grounded that anchored me, Mm -hmm. it was just knowing that, like, I don't know what the purpose is, but there's some purpose. Yeah. And and that's eventually what got me into social work, because I was like, well, I think I fell into it. Mm hmm. So you weren't going to school to be a social worker? No, I was actually going to school to be a marriage and family therapist. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. And that came by suggestion. I was so done with school. <laughs> I, was, I was not planning on going to grad school. By the time it took me eight years to get my undergrad because I, really? had take, I, I started off with a major that my dad wanted me to be a business major. But I've always been terrible at math. <laughs> and that's all math. Yeah. And so oh. all, my strength has always been writing yeah. and English. That is funny because I picked communications, <laughs> television, radio, broadcasting simply because it only had one math class. <laughs> and I remember there was even a basketball player that asked me to tutor him in math. And I was like, we're both going to be in the same struggle, bro. <laughs> but and so I... Other than like there was a business law class that I really enjoyed and like the computer classes, like the info management classes, I enjoyed those. I could not. And I remember there was a day I was accounting class. There was accountants in my class that did this as a profession. And we were working on a class assignment. And one of them was like, I don't understand. I said, okay. If this person does this for a living <laughs> and they like, can't understand it, I have no hope in this class. But then, you know, my mom also during this time, my mom had passed mm-hmm. by that time. So I had taken some time away mm-hmm. from school, like just to figure it out. I, I had a grace period of like two quarters during that time. My I don't know if you remember Yemi. Yeah. So Yemi was really close to our family. And she had transferred to Cal State San Bernardino from RCC. Uh And she was like, why don't you try psychology? And I remember telling her, I was like, I don't want to deal with crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) I do not. Oh, my gosh. I thought about becoming a therapist. And then I thought to myself, because I really am an empath where I feel people's emotions. And it, it really takes a toll on me. Like, I've had a couple of guests, like one of them specifically, if you guys didn't hear... It was Danella's story and her child passing. I was, I mean, I went home and I was bawling. I was so devastated by her story because it was just like, oh, I could feel her pain, you know? And so I thought to myself, I can't be a therapist. I'll be crying every day. I will be like sad every day because there's so many people out there hurting, you know, and suffering. I don't know if I could 
if I could have been a therapist. That could, that could be good. Being empathetic is a is a strength mm-hmm. in therapy. But I remember she was like, she started laughing and she was like, just, just take the intro <laughs> class for the summer. And if you don't like it, like I'll leave you alone. But if you do like it, yeah. Then, and was she doing? She was yeah, doing that it? was her major. Oh, okay. And so I was like, fine, you know, just to appease her. And um, I took it and I just was so interested in the subject. And wow. so I changed my major to psychology. My grades went up because I had a subject I was actually interested in. And I remember I had a teacher, you know, and I will say that God, I really believe that at certain parts in your life, he strategically places people to open up doors. And I had a, a professor who was like, you should apply for grad school. I was like, it took me eight years. I don't, I'm <laughs> so done. Right. And she was like, well, if you ever do, I really think you should. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. And I had graduated about three months in. I was like, yeah, I feel like this isn't just what I'm supposed to do. And I had a coworker who they used to sit me at this window mm-hmm. when I was working at the housing office. And I, my job was to make sure that the students were assigned to the apartments. Like I was managing the apartments, taking their bills. But people, I don't know if it was just like the format that it was at the window. Yeah. But they would come, these students would come and just like talk to me about their problems all day. <laughs> and I remember it and was I, a drive through therapy. Yeah, window. <laughs> it was like Lucy and <laughs> Snoopy, like the doctor is in. Yeah. And, and I remember I was looking at counseling and I had submitted my application. I had just got in and that day, um, one of the program directors had slid out and she was like, you know what, if there's nothing else, like I can confirm that you're doing the right field of study because these students, they come here and she has like her office, like her office was in the back and they just tell you all their problems and you just listen. And and so I was like, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and that had been a reoccurring thing. Like I could go to job interviews and before I even go to my job interview, there's the person next to me is telling me like their story. And Mm -hmm. so, so I ended up enrolling in grad school. I got in, that professor did write me a letter of recommendation like she promised. And that's when I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could do therapy, but I don't want to work with children. Really? Mm -hmm. Because we used to always have to write these papers Mm -hmm. about your biases. Because the goal was if you could recognize your bias now while you're in school, then you can know what populations you'll be effective in. Okay. And so I would write all these papers saying like, I don't think I could do children because I feel like I would take it home. Yes. I would want to rescue all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Those are all my papers. And I was like, I want to do straight couples, marriage. And I remember my dad asking me one day, like, well, do you think that that's a good idea not being married and not having marriage experience? And I was like, well, yes and no, because I can be objective. Yes. Because I'm not putting off my personal experience on these clients. I'm truly hearing you out, truly working with your situation. And fast forward, graduated. One of my practicum supervisors, she worked part-time for this foster family agency. And she was like, hey, you know, there's this opening for foster family social worker. It'll just be a good way to get your foot in the door to get some type of work experience, like while you're working on your license. Yeah. And then in doing that job, I ended up falling in love with social work because it was more hands-on, mm-hmm. whereas like therapy is more the results are over time. Yeah. We're here, like you're in the trenches, you're seeing what what the root issues are and you're dealing with it right then and there. And that's how I got into social work. 
that particular agency was a nonprofit and they had budget issues. Yeah. So I ended up getting hired on with the county and that's where I was working as an investigative social worker, which investigating child abuse reports for oh, like the last five, six years. How was that? I, that's why. I, <laughs> how was that? Oh stressful. my God. That would Stress, be so completely stressful. stressful. Completely stressful. And not even because of the clients, like the clients, I... I learned so much from my interaction with them. Mm -hmm. It was so rewarding to see the growth. And it was also, I felt like I was doing at the time, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do because now I was in the position to help kids in the way that I wasn't helped. I was able to recognize in a child's body language that even though they're telling me like, oh, everything is fine that there is domestic violence going on in the house because yeah. I know what it feels like to feel scared like that. Yes. And I, I recognize that. So that helped me. It was, you know, it was very helpful in reading between the lines. I was able to talk to a kid and recognize that even though it took them longer to disclose that they were molested, oh. I was able to recognize that because I had that experience. Yeah. One of our neighbors had molested myself and other neighborhood kids that they were watching during the time when I was in third or fourth grade. So I was in a position to, because I didn't really know how to speak up for myself as a child and ask for the help. I was in a position where I could hear these kids and be that person. Yeah. It was almost like a reflection of how you felt. Yeah. But then over time, that really burns you out because now it's becoming my personal responsibility. Yeah. And it was hard for me to like separate leave, leaving work at work and being and at home, home because you have all these dynamics and working for an entity. And sometimes with politics and how things operate, it made it very difficult to just do what I was hired to do. Yeah. And that's where I was losing sleep and getting panic attacks and like all oh, this other stuff because yeah. it was the struggle of what I was supposed to do, jumping through the hoops to do it. And then there was also, in all honesty, there was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. I had lost two of my really, really good friends. Suddenly one got breast cancer one oh. and passed in like three months. And then just the year before that, on the anniversary of that that person's death one of my really good friends suddenly passed like I literally talked to her on the phone the night she passed really and the next morning I got people texting me like is it true that you know Christina's not here anymore and I was like what are you talking about like I was just she just called me watching giving me commentary about the BET awards last night I was on the phone with her till she fell asleep and she actually was supposed to spend the weekend with me that weekend she would come over like every other weekend and just how did she pass I still don't know. Like they just, they just found her the next morning and they think it might've been something she ate. But yeah, it's just something we don't know. But, and then both of those passings were on on the the anniversary of my mom's passing. So it was just like a whole bunch of death between August 31st and September 9th. Oh, that's Um, devastating. Yeah. And so we had that on top of like, I never got a chance to mourn these passings and I'm getting like cases with like infant death. Like I'm dealing with death on my caseload. So it was just like two years of just hurt dealing with death, 
It's almost like you were walking around with like a dark cloud. Yeah. Because for, you're just for like five years. Yeah. Because you're you're dealing with this in your personal life and then you mm -hmm. go to work and then you have to deal with that at work, mm -hmm. you know, and then it seems like no matter which way you turn, it's just more sadness, more sorrow, yeah. more hurt. And it's like you never really got a chance to breathe. Mm -mm. And then I had like relationships that. Yeah, it was just a lot. I mean, it was. It if you was could see her lot. face. I know. If you I'm could see like, her face when she said relationships, <laughs> she's like, like, "Oh." It was a heavy eye roll for the, the listening audience. Yeah, but you know, I had I had that, but then at the same time, I had like these positions, like at work and at church. I was heavily involved in ministry, where mm -hmm. I could not. I had to be robot mode. I had to. Yeah, be this for work. I had to be this way for church. And it was like, I never, and inside, like the little girl in me was just like, I just want somebody to just see that, like, I need somebody to like, just hug me. I need oh. somebody to sit me down and, you know, be like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. But what I was getting was, hey, you know, can you pray for me for this? Can you, can you cover this person? Can you fill this? Can you step in and do this? Can yeah. you, and it, it was. And because you have the disease to please, you're yeah. like, yes, yeah. yes, I'll pray. I'll do this. Yeah. I'll go and, there. and no fault to these people because they were not aware, but no. they just knew that like, I could be that person. And yeah. so they're calling on the person that they rely. But I remember there was even one the, this was, I think it was last summer we had to, I was leading a mission trip and I, it was just all these meetings like back to back. And I was really, I was just like, I just need to get away. And mm -hmm. I saw one weekend <laughs> where I was like, I have nothing scheduled this weekend. I'm, I'm going to book a hotel and just get away, even if it's just for the day. Yeah. And then we got an email that we had a mandatory like mission meeting. And so I had, I had texted them and I was like, Hey, I know that this mission is a mission is a mandatory, but I really need to get away <laughs> this weekend. And they were like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, okay, well then I need help because, and it was just like complete word vomit. All this stuff is going, is going on right now. Yeah. So was that the first time that you actually said, I need help? Yes. And it always, and I noticed that the pattern has been, it's at the point where I'm helpless mm. is when I ask for help. Mm. Because up until then, I don't want to burden you. I don't want you to have to deal with my problem. Yeah. I don't want you to think that I'm incapable of solving my problem. Yeah. But you're creating that story in your head. Right. Like I Absolutely. just had a conversation with one of my best girlfriends and she she always tells me like, I just feel like, you know, you're always so busy with Travis and I feel like I just can't call you. And I'm like, that's a story in your head, girl, because yeah. I'm actually not that busy, you know? Yeah. Yes, I'm busy, but I'm not busy enough for you. You're my friend, Yeah. you know? And I think that like you carry that story in your head. Like, I don't want to burden anyone like yeah. you just said. And it's like, it's really just a story because mm -hmm. I'm sure because you're such a beautiful soul and I know that you have incredible friends because I've met them all mm -hmm. at your beautiful thank you brunch. <laughs> if you would have just asked, I think all of those people would be there for you in yeah. a drop of a dime. But it's like, how do you get to the point where you ask? But, right. You know, like it's like even all of us as females, I think I think one all of us can actually relate yeah. Is that we try to do it all by ourselves. We try to be a woman of all trades, you know, and then we get 
to the point where we're like literally losing our shit. (laughs) And then that's when we ask for help. But we should be able to manage our schedules and yeah. our friends and our business and our work and our you know self-care yeah enough to where we don't get to that point yeah you know yeah absolutely and and so that's where I was last year La- I think last year it was I mean it was a culmination of like five years of just mm-hmm. things like piling and piling and piling and by last year I can safely say I was at the breaking point. I, I I can honestly say that because I was having panic attacks. I took like stress leave off of work. Mm-hmm. The day I was supposed to come back from my stress leave, I was driving to work and I broke out in hives. Wow. And so I did like text them and say like, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. When you're breaking out in hives on your way to work, <laughs> yeah. it means you need to not work yeah. there no more. <laughs> but, but it's just so crazy of, of like... It was to a point where like you think that you can just keep going, going, going and your body is like, no, you can't. Your body is like, "Uh, hello, like I'm telling you no, like I'm telling you this is about to shut down. Yeah. And and I just remember just being so miserable Mm. and thinking and then but what's interesting Uh when we're going to go into transition is I remember around March and April of last year, I think I even put it on social media. Like, I feel like my time is up in Uh, this area. So I'm going to spend 2019. I'm going to save up money in 2019. It's going to be my year to travel because I want to see, like, fill out different places and see, because I I think it's time for me to move. Not right now, but I'm feeling like this time is up. Yeah, I do remember. I think I saw that and I was like, oh, you're going to move. Finally yeah. get out of Riverside. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm going to get out of that place. <laughs> right. And I remember and you don't you don't remember these little things until like hindsight. Uh-huh. But I just remember being really miserable. And I, you know, I was praying about it for like two years. I was like, I just can't. It got to the point where I was crying, like going to work. Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't. Yeah. I have no like work-life balance like it's just too much Mm -hmm. and my friend my good friend Mike who lives in San Diego we went to college together and he was working for a marketing firm Mm -hmm. and he was establishing his own so he hit me up to meet with him and he was like hey why did you ever stop your cupcake business and I was like well you know CPS took over like you know I don't have the time to do it And he was like, well, I really believe in your business and I want to help you rebuild it. But my thing, I won't even charge you. I just, if you'll allow me to use this in my portfolio. So I'll help you write your business plan, your marketing plan. We'll get you photos for a website, like all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, maybe this is the thing I need. And just like the night before... I had called my sister because I was having really bad panic attacks and I had asked her if I could spend the night. Yeah. Because I was like, I just don't want to be alone. And I headed out there. By the time I finished meeting with him, like all the stuff was laid out. We changed my business name. Like we had a logo. We had like all the stuff. So I was like, oh, like, okay, this is, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I had went on, left on a mission trip to Ethiopia, came back, wrote a letter of resignation but I still was scared to turn it in because I was like I got bills and I don't, I don't have anybody else to rely on but myself so I can't yeah. be irresponsible you know and I remember walking in 
And I even got there early that day. I, my shift would usually start at eight and I got there like 7.30 to check on like emails. And it was just like this heaviness in the office at 7.30 in the morning. My friend came up to me crying, like, I've missed you so much. Like you've missed so much. Like it's been terrible here. And I was like, uh, that's the confirmation I need. And I printed out two copies and I put one on my director's desk and one on my supervisor's desk. And I gave a 30 day notice. 30 so, days. Wow, you're very generous. Well, because I, I was trying my best to close out cases that I have yeah. as much as I could because I I didn't want that to impact my other coworkers. Yeah. And so it's like 30 days. And the thing that's crazy, and then at December 13th, I walked away from my job. But I had money saved up because yeah. 2019 was supposed to be my year to travel. So I had a cushion. And at first, it was going really well. Your cupcake business. Mm-hmm. I stepped away to do my two goals was cupcakes and to open up my schedule for ministry because I really thought that was the direction that I was heading. Mm-hmm. And I was getting orders back to back. So I was constantly busy. I was available more for the responsibilities I had at the church. So yeah. I was, you know, things were going really, really well. I was getting more responsibility. I even got approached for like two jobs at the church. So it just looked like I was heading in the, the right direction. Yeah. I stepped out on faith and I was heading in this right direction. And then in one weekend, my car got stolen. So I was getting orders, but I couldn't accept them because I couldn't deliver them. Oh, God. And I ended up finding out that the church went with two different people for the positions that they had interviewed me for. Oh, my gosh. So right as the door opened, it slammed right on your face. (laughs) Basically, yeah. So I talked to my landlord and he basically was like, well, I've had no issues with you. You know, since I've had no issues with you, you've always paid your rent and I have a waiting list for your place. If you can be out by the first, Mm -hmm. then I'll just go ahead and release you from your contract. I won't hold you any penalty. I'll just hold you through March because that's what you paid. So I was like, okay. And so I had brought like brand new appliances and I told him, I said, you know what, since you're releasing me from my lease and I can't really take them, I'll even leave these brand new appliances here. Wow. Because we had a good relationship. Yeah. And, but the thing is, the first was two weeks. Mm. So I had two weeks to and find I had to somewhere else to live, to find somewhere else to live, sell all my stuff. Oh. And it, it was just like, it was really really heartbreaking because like I had to get rid of like my cupcake stuff. It was just like, I saw my dream just like die. Disappear. And it just felt like, man, I stepped out on faith and all of these things were being taken from me. Yeah. And then that was like the surface and the material stuff. But then the stuff that hurt was, so the Friday I moved out, my Mm -hmm. landlord did a walkthrough of the unit and he was like, you know, this is great. Just leave your key in the back. And he gave me a hug and he was like, you're the best tenant I've ever had. And like, it was such a sweet moment. That night we moved on my stuff. My sister was like, did you take pictures? And I said, no, it's cool. Like he did a walkthrough today. She was like, just take pictures. So I took pictures. And by that, that was Friday night. By Sunday, I got a text saying like, what did you do to my place? Like, you're just the trash that you serve. And like talking about like my clients as a social worker, <gasps> I thought you were this great person. Bob. And I was like, 
Mr. So-and-so was like, what are you talking about? Like, this This is is your, this is your landlord who gave you a hug is sending you this text. Who walked through the unit. Like, so the only thing that was left after his walkthrough was to literally move the boxes from where he saw it into the moving van. But like the place was clean, everything. And I said, what are you talking about? This is the condition that I left it. And I sent him like all the pictures. He never responded back after that. Wow. And I was just like, wait, so I'm trash now? And like, I had all these people telling me. And at this time, I really was like struggling with faith, not because, not just because of the recent instance that had happened, but it was just like, I was just sitting back like, God, it seems like my whole life has been me looking from the other side of the window in. Yeah. And being and having this knowledge of like, I know you can do these things, but I haven't seen it in my life. Yeah. I know you can be a God of healing. Mm-hmm. But my mom died. Yeah. And my two best friends died. Yeah. And we were praying. I know you can be a God that can bring me the marriage that like I love that, you know, I'm longing for. But what I've seen is a cycle (laughs) of relationships where like every (laughs) single person is presenting like an idea. Like they are saying that they want to get married. They are saying that they see me as the one. They are saying that they want us to be monogamous. And I'm finding out publicly that that's not the case, that we have different definitions of monogamy, yeah. apparently. <laughs> like, right? Like, oh my gosh. Different translations of the word. <laughs> and, and so it was all these things that like, I know you can do these things. But why haven't you done it for me? But why haven't you done it? And now these people want to talk to me about faith. Like these people that have never, I was molested by a Christian man. Oh God. Like you want to talk to me about faith? Yeah. And there was a shift where I was really like, I don't know anymore. Yeah. It went from someone that was like, I'm holding on to this with everything I have because this is the one foundational thing that I can count on is my faith. Yeah. To March, April through like, May of being like, I don't know. And yeah, definitely go going through some tests. Yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, what I love about your story is that you're, you've been through a lot, a lot. And it's like, yes, you've held on to your faith, but man, when you just keep getting crashed on by wave after wave after getting your car stolen, like, like, at what point are you just like, I'm just going to drown here. Like, right. I don't even care anymore. Just keep crashing. I'm just not even going to keep, I'm not going to try to fight it anymore. Yeah. Like at what point did you feel that way where you were just like, I give up? Oh, absolutely. There was when I, when I moved to San Diego, it was cool because I got a chance to, I wasn't alone. I was with my sister and my niece and I was thankful to have a place to go to, to my sisters and spending, I love spending time with my niece. Like a a lot of people from my feed think she's my daughter. We Mm. spend so much time, but I remember because my sister is pursuing acting right now in addition to her career. So I'm, I'm watching her a lot. And I just remember I was since the, towards the end of 2018, I was at the breaking point. Yeah. It was like the, by March 30th, I broke. Yeah. And there were nights where like, I would, my niece would, was sleeping on my chest and I would be crying because I, one, I'm so scared because I'm like, I don't know how my sister can even trust me alone with my niece because 
I'm Googling. I know I can't commit suicide here because I don't want that to be the memory that my niece has. Yeah. But I know that there's ways to have assisted suicide and finding those resources, finding that there's resources in San Diego. Wow. And seriously pursuing that because I felt like you were done. I'm done. I'm done fighting. I don't want this to continue being my life or like I'm getting up temporarily and knocked back down. Like, yeah. And people are like, but you're so strong. And I'm like, I yeah. don't. This is not something that you can praise. <laughs> like it's <laughs> right? like you're you're being constantly kicked. And then then again, with relationships found out in a very public way at the same time that like this guy that I've been seeing for like eight months that mm-hmm. he wasn't being faithful. And it was just like, man, like by that, by the time that happened, I literally was like, just take it all away. There's nothing else left to take from me right. at this point. There's nothing. Oh, you're contemplating suicide at yeah. this time in your life. And you're really in a dark place. Yeah. What changed your mind? Thank well, God what, you changed your mind. <laughs> what, well, what kept me honestly was I just can't have that be my niece's memory. Yeah. It had nothing to do with me because I would have completely, I would have jumped, my sister's on the third floor. I would have jumped off. But that what what grounded me was I don't want that to be Addie's memory that yeah. she lives with, with the rest of her life. I don't want to be the person to cause trauma to yeah. her. That was literally, I think, the thing that like grounded me to not actually do something. Yeah. Because it wasn't me. But I think some of the changes started where Nicole had met up with me, Nicole Baker. And she was like, I just want to check in with you. And after that conversation, she was like, well, what do you want to do? Mm Because I was like, I need to get a job. Like, I can't be a bum. Like, I don't. (laughs) And she was like, it's only been like, you've only been out here like a week. I said, but I need to be productive. (laughs) Like, I can't, I can't just You made it seem like you were unemployed for a year. Yeah, no, but I mean, I just, I I was like, I'm in my little sister's place. Yeah. Like, I'm supposed to be the one taking care of her, not the other way around. And I can't be this person just laying here on the couch. So I was like applying for everywhere. And she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. Because I thought I had a trajectory of what I want to do. And that's been taken from me. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. And did you feel like a little bit of a failure? Because I know that I had that feeling too. Mm-hmm. It's like, a lot we're of 39. Mm-hmm. We should know what we want. Mm-hmm. And it always feels like everyone else knows exactly what they're doing. And yeah. it's like, God, why couldn't I have, you know, because I read a lot of self-help books and I watch a lot of Oprah because I love Oprah. (laughs) But she (laughs) always would say, you know, when she would talk about herself or when she would have interviews with other people, they would say, oh, and then I had my aha moment (laughs) and I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. I was like, really? Seriously? And I would always get so upset because it was like, why can't I have that aha moment? You know, it was like, I would look at my sisters who, you know, my sister Letitia decided at four, you know, in fourth grade that she wanted to be a teacher and she's been a teacher her whole life and she loves it. She loves being a teacher. You know, I have, you know, my sister, other sister who works as a medical assistant at Kaiser. She loves it. She's Mm -hmm. been doing it for years. You know, it seems like everyone that I know, like had a career and they loved it. And I was like, I had 20 jobs, at least. I think I've never counted, but I've had over 20 jobs in my life. Yeah. And every single 
time, you know, I would think this is the job that I'm going to like, you know, work for the rest of my life and retire from. But I never had an aha moment, you know, and it made me feel like a failure. And I too had those feelings of suicide where I was just like, you know, before I met my husband where I was like, I'm done. You know, I've been, I was unemployed for a year and a half. You know, I, you're talking about being a bum for a week, try a year and a half. Yeah, Like I would take NyQuil just to sleep the day away. Yeah, that's because, what I was doing because too. Because I didn't, I didn't have anything to do and I didn't have anywhere to go and I felt yeah. really sorry for myself. And it's sad. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad. Oh, but yeah. you do get those thoughts of depression, those thoughts of like, there's no point. I'll just die, you know? Yeah. Like there's, what is there, what is left? Yeah. So what was your turning point? So in that conversation, she had asked me like, so she was like, why don't you just send me your resume? I'll see what I can do. You're like, sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just like, well, it was an opening. But to be quite honest with you, because of where I was at and knowing where she worked, I followed up with her and I was like, I updated my resume, but I don't think I should give it to you because you're putting your name out there for me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite because right now I don't even know if I believe. Mm. And I don't want to taint your name that you're putting out me and I remember she was just like thank you for your honesty mm-hmm. but give me a resume <laughs> and you know what, let, she's like let me deal with yeah my name. and what you know if it's for you it's for you and if it's not it's not and I said okay like if if you're cool with it I'm sending you my resume so she sent out my resume and I just remember in that moment thinking like even though I wasn't sure if I still believed I was like, I know enough that I don't, if God is doing something in the situation, I don't want to be the one to stand in the way of that. Mm. I know that much. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. So I was honest with her. She still wants to take it. She took my resume and I got called. And then kind of the same situation mirrored from what happened with my interviews at the church. I got called for one position. Well, she was, she had me in mind for one position, but this other department got a hold of me got a hold of my resume and wanted to interview me. So interviewed with them. It went really, really well. Met with her after. And I remember she was like, well, how did it go? And I said, you know what? Even if I don't get this position, Mm -hmm. just because of the way this interview was set up, I think that this is to remind me that I don't have to wait to be chosen. I have something to bring to Yes, girl. Because the person that that started that interview, we were in this huge conference room and she she started the interview saying, before we even start, I want you guys to know there's other departments that are interested in Rhea. So we're not the only one. There's a commodity. And it just set the whole tone where I didn't feel like I have to convince you. Mm -hmm. Like, even though, yeah, I I respectfully would want the job. I don't feel like I'm above... anybody by any means like these were high positions Mm -hmm. interviewing me but it the conversation was different the conversation was like wow you did a b and c like how does all of that experience like how do you see that in this position and it reminded me that like I have something to bring to the table I don't have to convince you Mm -hmm. to choose me to give me a space at your table yeah I have something that should resonate throughout your everything. entire life. Everything, everything. So I'm glad that you had that moment because honestly, if you think about that, and ladies, you should all think this way. Yeah. 
is you don't have to beg anyone for anything. Yeah, you absolutely bring so much to the table. And if you walk around with that confidence and you walk around with that knowing that your gift inside that God has placed inside of you yep. and all of us is meant to be shared. Yeah. And that you are special. Yeah. That you would you would walk like a queen that you are. Amen. Yeah. Every everywhere you go, you'll walk like that. Amen. And yeah, that that is the day that I if I can pinpoint any day. That was the day that was the beginning of God revealing to me how he sees me. Yes. And that was the start. Like that, mm-hmm. that was, it was like, okay, I've broken you completely down. Yeah. I've taken everything away. Now I'm going to build you up in like the true person that you are in the way that I see you. Yeah. And, and so I remember leaving, like, even if I don't get this job, that's completely cool because this is what I took from it. And about two weeks after that, I got the call from the department that hired me to yeah. interview. And it same thing, like, you know, went through the interview process. It was cool. I mean, the people at, at this institution are all genuinely great people. Really? Yeah. And so went through, but it's like, you know, the ball's in their court. And I remember my sister at this time, we had a conversation and I told her, I was like, this is what I don't get. I get red flags. <laughs> and that's why the situation that happened with the guy, that's the least out of like this mountain of stuff that's happened in a short amount of time. But the thing that's messing with me is the open doors. Mm. There was all these open doors and it looked like I was going in this right, the right direction. It looked like I had confirmation after confirmation. And then in one weekend, all, all those doors slammed. Yeah. And I don't understand. And my sister, who's three years younger than me, by the way, she was like, well, confirmation isn't a confirmation until it's confirmed. Mm. She was like, out of all this stuff that happened, the one thing I have not heard from you is that you regret walking away from that career in yeah. social work. And she said, because it was confirmed that like, if you had stayed in that environment, it would have became more stressful for you. Yeah. And that's something like you're not even thinking of. You're like, even if I have to work at McDonald's, Walmart, <laughs> <laughs> I will not. And I said, yeah. And she was like, so that's a confirmation. Yeah. Until it's been confirmed, everything is not a confirmation. It's an opportunity. Mm. And if you look at it that way, the things that solidify, yeah. that's your confirmation. And I just remember that night being like, okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, I feel like people describe failures in such a negative way that if we stop thinking about, oh my gosh, I failed, I failed and start thinking about, well, what was the lesson learned? Yeah. What was, what was that failure in my life meant to teach me? Right. Because if we think about it that way, then we realize, oh, okay. You know, that's what I learned from it. You know, was it ever a failure? No, it It was a redirection. Absolutely. Like transition. And it's like, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of like when we're talking about the process of like when things started to shift, all of that. And I remember like Nicole had texted me and she was like, so you got the job? And I said, I didn't hear anything. Mm. And she was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess when they call you, act surprised. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember even telling her, I was like, you know what? Like, I love you. And I love like your excitement for me. Mm -hmm. But 
because of this conversation I had until I get an offer letter. Yeah. This is just an opportunity. Like this text you sent me, I'm not even looking at as a confirmation. Yeah. And I didn't even hear from them that week. I heard from them the following week and I was like, okay, now I've been offered the job. This is confirmation that this is where I'm supposed to be. And since then, like literally everything has fallen into place. Like I'm at the most peaceful place on campus. My office is literally looking over the water. Wow. I came out here not knowing anybody but my sister and knowing Nicole was in that area. We worked together. Mm. Like that's like my sister. I ended up getting reacquainted with a friend from college that you guys met at my, I think she came after you left. We've been hanging out. We're buddies. Like she just moved out here two months ago. San Diego is a thousand times better than the weather is better. (laughs) Like, I mean, I've, I was at a a point where I was like, God, I don't understand why this is happening. Yeah. And then now in hindsight, I'm looking back, like now I get why that had to happen. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, you had to get to a point where you were so done Mm -hmm. with these relationships that it, completely flipped your perspective on your worth Mm -hmm. where it was like where before going back to bring it full circle with the people pleasing and self-esteem and validity and like the childhood trauma every time these these men in all of these relationships the one thing they had in common were these men were like I see you as my wife Mm -hmm. I want to get married to you I want this timeline and then like situations would happen and then it wouldn't And every time they said that, I had the mindset of like, it's finally happening. I'm finally getting my Boaz. I'm finally (laughs) like, this is this one area that I just could not attain for whatever reason is finally happening. I'm finally going to get the chance to build that family and I'll be validated that Mm. I'm worth it. Yeah. That I am that good thing. Yeah. That they... And it got me to a point where like we were talking about the brunch, like this experience after all the dust cleared, it was no, these guys, they saw that in you because it's something you already carry. Yeah. So every person that you, because you carry this, you carry the, the characteristics of a good wife. Mm-hmm. That's just them recognizing what you already carried, what God already put in you. Yeah. It doesn't validate you. Mm-mm. Whether they're in your life or not, you have that thing because yeah. God put that in you mm-hmm. and you don't need anybody in your life. To I mean, it's great. You. It's still something that like I'm hopeful for. Yeah, um, I'm not trying to tell get all women to be. I'm not trying to be like, even though dating in 2019 is trash, <laughs> it's completely <laughs> trash. I'm not trying to keep everybody single, <laughs> but I'm trying to get women to understand because there is just this thing in us that like. We're like, well, once we get that marriage, once we get this thing, then I, then I've attained this. Yeah. And it's like, no, you have these things already. And that's what I learned, honestly, because I was single up until I was 37. I mean, I dated guys, all losers, all (laughs) abusers, all, they all like treated me like I was nothing. And I was doing the same thing. I was like, please, please love me. Please, please, please. I mean, I remember even one guy, I literally like sat on top of him, like begged him, Mm -hmm. begged him to call me his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And that's how much like I cared about myself. That's my low self-esteem, my own insecurities, you know, and it wasn't until I, I honestly just gave up on men. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe my lot in life is to be single. 
I'll right. just be single for the rest of my, I'll be the best aunt right, and the best sister and the best property manager. And I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. I'm going to have my own little condo in Newport Beach and I'll just live alone. And it wasn't until I actually gave up that Travis came into my life. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy because I would always get that stupid saying like, oh, when you, it's when you least expect that. <laughs> and when you stop looking is when he shows up and it really actually yeah. worked. <laughs> this should have been like the recorded video <laughs> version because if you guys would know how many eye rolls have been in this conversation. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. Like, and I, and that was just one of the many lessons that I learned was just, you know, it paralleled the, the, the lesson I learned in my job search, yeah. that's the lesson I can apply to life. I mean, I remember going, sitting, I was seeing a therapist when I took stress leave off last July. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were doing this exercise where he, he had the, the chair and I'm laughing because re remember I went to school for this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, at the same time, like I was sitting in that chair, like, I know what he's doing. I know, I know. <laughs> and but at the same time I was like you know I'm gonna participate I need my healing yeah. so he had an open chair he had me have a conversation he wanted me to have a conversation with my mom and Aww. I remember crying and saying I can't do it and he was like why I said because it's pretend she's not here yeah and and um they don't stay none of them stay and Aww. I remember just like crying and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what do I have to do to make people stay? Oh, and, that's devastating. And I remember he got up and he was just like, do you not think that that you're lovable? Like, mm. how could you not? How could anybody not love you? Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like, but people don't stay. Like, they don't think that I'm worth it to stay. It doesn't matter how much. I love them, how much I support them, how much I'm there with them through the trenches, how much I'm there when they call, how much I drop everything to go see them. When it comes down to me, mm -hmm. if I'm not walking around like I have it all together, yeah, then I'm a train wreck and people don't stay. Oh. And, and now I look back and I almost laugh that I thought so lowly of myself. I know. Isn't that sad? Isn't that crazy? Yep. Like, it's almost like you want to go and slap your old self. <laughs> yeah. Like, I cannot believe you did this to yourself. <laughs> right. Wait, I'm almost 40. Like, right. seriously, like, this is why I really, really believe in, like, teaching our youth, the teenagers, mm -hmm. like, to love themselves. Yeah. To really love yourself. Yeah. You know, because honestly, I feel like when we were growing up, we didn't have that taught to us. Like yeah. now it's like, you know, you hear, you see these little videos of these little, I just saw this video on Instagram. It was the cutest thing. It was this little boy walking to school and his mom teaches him to say this as he's going to school. Mm. I am blessed. I am loved. Mm. I have everything in me yeah. to make a difference. He says that to himself as he's going to school and his little backpack, I'll send it to you. It's the cutest little thing. I Maybe I'm messing up what he's saying to himself, but yeah. he's repeating affirmations and to himself. And he's going to believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, we didn't have that growing up. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that like feeling of like, hey, you are worthy mm -hmm. and you are lovable and you are amazing mm -hmm. and you are everything because I've known you for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
And even though we don't really hang out because I don't like to go to Riverside, <laughs> but now she's in San Diego, so I'm going to visit yeah. more often. Yeah. Um, but I would see your posts on, you know, on Facebook and I would read and it was like I was reading your soul. It was yeah. like you were like, here I am. He's my authentic self. And you would pour these beautiful I would even tell you, you need a blog. You need to like write these things down. You need to create a book yeah. because you have such beautiful words that come out from your soul. And it's like, man, if you saw, if you saw yourself the way I see yourself, it, it's, you know, it's like, man, I wish you knew, you mm -hmm. know? And it's like, I, now I know these things because I've done so much work and I've yeah. you've been through all those things. And it's like, but if we don't do the work. Yeah. If we don't do the work, we're always going to be playing second to nothing. Yeah. You know, we're going to act as if we're nothing when really we are everything. Yeah. It's hard to do the work because at the same time that we have these conversations, and that's why I even changed, I even changed like in my mindset of, uh, instead of calling it mental health, calling mm. it mental wealth. Yeah. Because there's like this stigma that comes and at the same time that people want you to work your things out. Mm -hmm. And to have healing and self-care and all of those great like buzzwords. People want to rush you through the process. Mm. It's like, okay, it's time to be happy now. Yeah. And it's like, no, like, yeah, stuff happened and I'm not happy yeah. and I'm okay not. I mean, and I just remember like, <laughs> and that's why I had to put like a post out where I was like, I know people are like, she's really like losing it. But I was just <laughs> like, look, I'm angry and I'm okay being angry right now. I know. Because something has happened that yeah. made me angry. And you know what? It's a cycle. And there will be a point where I'm okay again. But let me go through the process. Like, yeah. The grieving process applies not just when we're grieving, like, or mourning, but any type of loss that you have in Absolutely. your life. Yeah. You have to go through your grieving process for any type of loss. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, let, let me have real feelings because yeah. there's this thing of like, if you have any type of feeling, if you're not walking around with a mask, if you're not walking around pushing through everything like a robot, then yeah. you must be weak. Mm. But it's like it could the truth couldn't be further from that. Right. Because you have to go through your process to get to your healing. The more you put that under the rug, mm, you're, you're really not healing. You're not getting your healing. No, nope. what you're doing is you're you're being a functional. It wouldn't be an alcoholic in this case, but you're you're functionally walking around broken. Yeah, and then and and that brokenness is spewing off in all areas of your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so like that's when I was like, you know, we spend so much time in conversations saying, I know all of this is happening for a reason. And I just have to believe it's happening for a reason. And it came to a point where like literally could have been the Holy Spirit himself was like, you want to know what the reason is? This is the reason. Mm. These areas needed to change. Yeah, That's your reason. Mm -hmm. I had to shake it up because you needed, this needed to change. The situation needed to change. You had a lot of yeah. people around you that said they love you. Yeah. I'm shaking it up. Getting rid of the toxic people. And the filter <laughs> that's coming through yeah. are the people that have consistently been there. Yeah. So you have a lot of people around you. You want to know how to compartmentalize people in your life? These are your friends. These are your acquaintances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you want to know if, if this dude is the right dude for you? I shook it up. Not yeah. the right guy for you. You want to know if that was supposed to be your career? 
that, that you were supposed to work on that business at this time, that you were supposed to be in ministry at this time, at this. And I, and I personally believe that ministry is in our everyday walk anyways, yep. but what maybe, I do here is my ministry. <laughs> yeah. So like, maybe I wasn't called to do ministry in the four walls of the church. Absolutely. But ministry. I'm going to give you an amen on that. <laughs> but, mini- but ministry is the everyday yeses that we, that we give to God in those moments that he sets up for us to pour into somebody else. Mm, yes. And so ministry is every time you, you see somebody looking down and you take the moment to ask them, are you okay? Mm. Can I pray for you? Can I hear you out? That's ministry. Like, yep. you know, ministry is in everything that we do. Yep. Humans loving other yeah. humans. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do. Yep. And, you know, and so that, that was, that was something I had to learn. Like it went from walking in like fog for five years to where everything is undisputably clear. There is no gray. Like this is, this is what's for you. This is where you're supposed to be. This is who's supposed to be around you. This is the direction you're supposed to go. And the best nugget that I came out of it was because I learned. She's so cute. She listens to the podcast, so she's gonna she's gonna already tell no, you no, her nugget is, of wisdom. No, this isn't my nugget of wisdom, <laughs> oh, okay. but it is something that is really important. The thing that helped we talked about anger and what helped me release a lot of the anger and resentment I had specifically towards people in situations where I ended up hurt mm. was the revelation that a lot of people don't focus on that God's hand is in everything, the good and the bad. Mm. but how he works it to come together for your good, his hand is in that as well. So I couldn't resent the people and the relationships and the situations that happened because they all played a part in what his hand was in. His hand was in it to make sure that these people were in my life to have a certain outcome to get me to where I'm at now. Because the place I'm at now is the best space that I've been in in my whole right. life. Like complete peace. I never known peace like I'm in the space that I am in right now. Ugh. And to the point where like, it's like I'm in such a good space that I'm like, I don't have the energy for like the shenanigans. Like yeah. if you are somebody that like, and it is only in a took good you space, 40 years. Only <laughs> Only took 40 years. Yeah. Oh my God. As we wrap up this episode, (laughs) what would, since you've already given one nugget, what's your second nugget of wisdom that you have learned through your journey as a fearless female? Because seriously, you've had an incredible journey, but I'm so beyond thankful that you are my friend and that you are in my close circle of friends. And and that you did not take your life because it would have been devastating, not just for your niece, but for a lot of people out here who really, really love you. Thank you. Yeah. So what is your nugget of wisdom? I learned that how we navigate through transition directly impacts how we navigate through life. Mm. Because all transition is, is letting you know that, and it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah that there's an area of your life that needs to be changed. And mm-hmm. the thing with transition, it never feels good because we don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can control. You just have to ride through and navigate through. Yeah. But at the end of all of it, what you will get out of it every single time is hindsight. Yes. And what you learn from that hindsight is what's going to continue to grow you, 
make you stronger, reveal to you more about who you truly are. And I honestly believe for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but I think a lot of the root of my anxiety and my panic attacks was from the anticipation of the worst case scenario. So when you're actually taken through the worst case scenario, (laughs) it's like you can no longer avoid it anymore and you don't have fear. And I'm not even saying like, I know like, okay, I'm at the, I'm at the awe Zen moment of this part of my story in this season, life is going to happen. But at least now I know that like, I've had everything taken from me and I'm in a better place than I was. So it now at this point is just going to be reminding myself of you can have everything taken from you, but it will always work for your good. Yep. You will survive. Yeah. No absolutely. matter what. And that's what true fearless females do. They rise up and face anything. Thank you guys again for listening to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And please like rate, review, and share this episode with all of your friends. You can find the Fearless Female Podcast on Instagram. It's called at Fearless Female Podcast. And you can find me on Facebook, the Fearless Female Movement. And you can find Rhea where? I'm just on social media platforms. So you can find me, add me on Facebook if we're not a friend, Rhea Harris. On Instagram, I'm at Rhea Ann. And I'm rarely on Twitter, but if you are on Twitter, (laughs) it's at Rhea underscore Ann. Oh, thank you so much. All right, ladies, tune in next week for another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. Goodbye.